clear. We are the weirdos. I am God. What? I tried to warn her. Welcome back to another episode of Odds Tyrion, the podcast that canonizes millennial era horror and uh, tells you why you were wrong about it. I am Sam Weinman, your co-host, also joined by... Your co-host, Jordan Cruciola, uh, who loves telling people they, people they were wrong about this specific category of movies. It's one of my... It's a, it's a tenet of my personality at this point. You know... I would agree with you. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you that it's fun, but I also agree that it's a big part of your personality. Yeah. Uh, friends, if you've never been to a Q&A with Jordan, and mm-hmm. I don't mean like her leading it, because when she leads it, like Google it. Watch the YouTube yeah. videos. It's worth it. She's the best Q&A ever. But, 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 but Jordan in an audience at a Q&A, we were at Beyond Fest. <laughs> I swear to God, if you ask a dumb question, Jordan will follow up and outsmart you. And make you embarrassed that you open your mouth. <laughs> I, I, that is what I, if I'm not moderating a Q&A and I get a chance to ask an audience question, that is exactly my goal. As is it, to make other people not want to ask their questions. I am so excited to be talking about Final Destination 5 with you. Um, one, because I have no idea how you feel about it. I haven't asked. Yeah. And I have we've been. We've never, re- like we've talked, we, we've talked about the merits of Final Destination. I know you love 5. I think you know I love 3. Um, you like the entire, you love the entire franchise. I, I, you, you, you see, you see so much of the value in it. We have never really had the nuts and bolts conversation around Final Destination 5 at all. No, which means that we are having this, uh, for the very first time with you friends. Yeah, this is a process of discovery. I've been a little nervous because I, because I love this so much and I, and I can hear your lukewarm no, 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 I'm trying to just be, I'm trying to be like utterly agnostic because, because I okay, just, I'm excited. So I don't want to, like, kind of like, yeah, I don't want to express any, I don't want to express anything because I just am for first and foremost focused on like, cause you were like, we need to do Final Destination 5. We need to, like, so I don't, I'm like, I don't want to influence a thing. I don't, I don't know what it is we're doing here today. I mean, I know, but I don't know in the way that I usually do. So I am ready. So, Okay. If you are at home right now, um, which you might be, <laughs> yeah. I mean, or you're in your car, that's where I usually am. Um, <laughs> Listen, uh, watching Big Brother like it's a podcast. Watching Big Brother like it's a podcast, guys. When, whenever Sam's I pass a cop, podcast is not Austerion. It's no, Big it's Brother. Big Brother. I, I just watch, I, I stream seasons of Big Brother while I drive to therapy. Mm-hmm. Any, uh, it, back to the. The issue at hand. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, no, I listen to Odds Tarion while I craft. Like when I was, I, I have this pumpkin advent calendar here, and it is so gorgeous. It's and It's wonderful. Honestly, it's thanks to Odds Tarion. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so if you're at home and you have not seen Final Destination, I'm giving you a chance right now for Final Destination 5. I don't. We don't normally do this. I think like all of them are on HBO Max. I think the you know, okay. the entire franchise, it, or at least most of it, is on HBO Max right now for streaming. I do want to say this is the kind of movie that can get spoiled. Now, I think that's mm-hmm. part of why it wasn't successful, but we'll get into that. Okay. Um, I so if you if you really want to go into this feeling mm-hmm. fresh, mm-hmm. Uh, just go watch it and then listen to this. If you don't mind, then you are about to find out why this is the ultimate Ostrian film. Okay. Okay. If you have seen this, I highly encourage you to Google Miles Fisher New Romance. Yeah. <laughs> That is, this is such a fascinating texture. New Romance, which I have only just been made aware of, everybody. Um, It is a music video that one of the stars of this movie did in character as Zach Morris from Saved by the Bell. Hey girl, where did you go to? I'm bad at high 
like, yeah, everybody's dressed the part, and it's the cast of Final Destination 5 in recreations of Saved by the Bell spaces, like the, the high school hallway, and then the, the restaurant that they're always going to, I forget the name of. And some of the iconic scenes, like with the pills, Jesse yeah, and the pills. Yeah, Jesse and the pills, and th they are Final Destinationing a bop of a pop song by Miles Fisher. Miles Fisher. Um, by the way, he's the hot guy with like, or the sh the the guy with hot short guy energy, giant <laughs> eyebrows. Like you're watching it and you're like, yeah, I know him. Yeah. He doesn't list his height on Tinder. <laughs> you know? And that's fine. I Listen, I love a hot short guy and that's why I'm in love with Miles Fisher. But this video, and that's what led me to this video. So at the time, this video is not connected to the movie in any way. It's not like a but DVD extra. The, yeah, no, like thematically it is, it's final listening. Um, Saved by the Bell, but as I'm watching this and Sam is walking me through it, it has absolutely no marketing, promotional, business connection. Nope. To, this isn't like, this wasn't like, we're going to go viral. This is just something that this person did and seemingly the entire cast of Final Destination 5 was like, fuck yeah, I'm in. And they're all, they're all being totally, total hams dressed as the cast of Saved by the Bell, um, throwing themselves into preposterous murder scenes, but as characters from the show. It is extremely enjoyable. Every single moment feels like the fun that you imagine that this cast must have had watching the movie. And that's God, why I or making so. the movie. And that's why like at like if you've seen the movie, you're a fan of Final Destination 5, you definitely have to watch this. Also, it's like two and a half minutes, go do it. It it's criminal that it only has a it's million a, and a, a half views. Song. It's been around for a decade, and this video has a million and a half. I don't know why I'm blanking on the name of Joe Jonas's spin-off band that he was in that did Cake by the Ocean. Um, DNCE. DNCE. This sounds like a DNCE song. This it's, sounds like this is a DNCE and song. And it holds up. So uh, go watch some hot Final Destination 5 cast dance run. Yeah. I will I will tell you, I think this is the hottest aughts cast. Wow. I, oh my I do. I am, I am attracted to this everybody is new news in this to me. film. This is new news to me, everybody. This movie. I'm really attracted to the Lauren actress, for sure. I... I am across the board interested in everybody. It is a game of fuck, Mary kill. I don't want to play. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to play. Don't ask me. Don't, don't put me fair. in that position. That's not fair. Yeah, yeah. So I, uh, the, the cast off the bat, so seeing them in the Saved by the Bell Final Destination thing where they all die one by one. Yeah. Amazing. Great ways. Also, they, it's very well done. Connecting it to the culture of the time. Mm -hmm. So Final Destination is celebrating, Final Destination 5, we're celebrating the 10th anniversary because it was August of 2011. That's, so, when that's when Final Destination 5 comes out. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you have to think what was happening in 2011. Like, we didn't have viral videos the way that we do now. Not quite. Yeah. If, if you had a viral video, that was early viral videos. That was for, like, I am somebody who spends time on the internet. I am on YouTube kind of thing. Instead of sort of the cultural, culturally ubiquitous way that we use the term viral now. Right. Because it's so permeated the way we talk and, like, our cultural lexicon at the time, viral wasn't necessarily as proliferate a term as it is today. And then we had like Kelly's shoes in the <laughs> mid aughts, right? Like that was kind of fun. And oh my god, cheers! Right, and that's cool. huge. Yeah. But 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 other than that, we didn't really have anything juggernaut mm -hmm. status it until the, Rebecca Black. Well, and it was the I feel like a, a thing about going viral then was we would if like things that went viral became truly um, cross cultural. Yes. Like, they became viral in a monocultural kind of way. Like, we know Tazon Day, Chocolate Rain. We, right. like, Kelly, yes. Kelly Shoes, a little more niche, but still something that, like, Is a it? generation. I knew that more than chocolate. No, I think that, I, I think that, I think, 
I think that's oh it's that, generational uh, yeah I think yeah, like that, makes sense. that was still like that more I think still caught for like queer people girls kind of right. thing whereas like the guy the guy the chocolate rain guy like he was he like he went on like talk shows it was at a time when things went viral we all magnetized around sneezing panda dramatic look gopher like the double rainbow the double rainbow yeah. it, was, it was there were internet culture and culture at large was not so fractured that we each had our own quadrants of viral it was everybody saw everything at the same time everybody shared the same viral shit instead of like hey did you see that one thing of the kid running and screaming through the video carrying a knife it's like right. no but did you see that thing where a kangaroo like tried to fight a guy through his window there are a billion internets now and in 2011 there was still kind of one internet you know, Unless you were deep internet, like internet 1.0, internet junkie status. You are already beating me to the punch, and I love that. Because oh, we are on, no, 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 in a good way. Okay. Because we are 100% on the same page with okay, this. Okay, great. Because this is the kind of thing, like when you see this video, it's so special, I think. And it's like one of these things that would That's go wonderful. viral today. Wonderful. Um, it did not go viral then. But when we're thinking about what did, that's the same year as Rebe- Rebecca Black. So they're mm. trying to do something memeable here. Mm-hmm. That's what's also interesting. It, yeah, they're it like, okay, like Saved by the Bell, Final Destination 5. They're putting all these things in because this is the construction of early era memes right like that's why i'm so fascinated by this moment in time 2011 this is something where and we talked about this just before we started recording if the riverdale cast did something like this together oh now God. sensation it would yeah we'd never stop hearing yeah about it yeah <laughs> uh, like that kind of thing so the cast of the cast of euphoria did something like this now why it interests me is 2011 is a real pivot in terms of technology um when we have when we think about the aughts and we think about mid-aughts paris hilton into like 2007 Britney and kind of the paparazzi culture yes if it didn't happen in a magazine it didn't happen right yes so like um, that something, is a hundred percent very much so something I think we're all discovering about Britney Spears with these many documentaries is like our history was told for us by this media specifically through that because we didn't have the kind of social media that we do now exactly even when it was around we didn't use it that way mm-hmm. and so this is a really good example of like the definition of a of a viral video yeah. changing. And it, and it I, I think what we have in this is, this is the like not a list version of Justin Bieber and friends doing Call Me Maybe, just fucking around in one of their very big houses. Like the, the Justin Bieber, Ashley Tisdale, Selena Gomez, and friends and backup dancers video where they're just lip syncing Call Me Maybe in a house. This is in the same spirit of that, but like done as a professional music video with excellent art direction and set design. So why have I been talking to you about this for 10 minutes? Well, one, Miles Fisher is so hot, you guys, but that's not, (laughs) that's not the only reason. This video is lost in the same way that this movie is lost. Mm. So Final Destination 5, um, it was not very successful. Mm -hmm. Did, Uh, how, what do you do, just for, what do you think of 4? In, I in the hate term. four. Okay, you hate four. So we're coming, and and you are one of the bigger Final Destination franchise fans I love that three. I know. So we're coming off of a movie that you're like, I hated that movie. Hated it. So it was that as a preamble to five is definitely that's a bad setup. Well, and also I went to see this. That's the one with the tire nothing. that comes out of the racetrack and decapitates a person. <sighs> yes. Yeah, definitely the worst one. The worst four is one. definitely the worst one. Okay, yeah. And and so. I actually saw it at an advanced screening where in order to see it, you had, like, they started playing all the Final Destinations, but not until dark. So you had to stay up all night watching yeah, one, two, three, four. And then at dawn, we watched five. <laughs> wow. And if you made it through all of them, the studio gave you t-shirts. And, like, wow. coasters? Yeah. <laughs> 
really weird. Like not posters, friends. Coasters. Not, like put yeah, your drink not on it. Posters. My favorite prize I got. Because <laughs> um, you know I made it. Um, and, and what's so interesting about this context, and and this is why I bring it up because I will be bringing this up as we talk about it. This movie hides its big reveal by by servicing fans. Yes. No. This does. I I I I couldn't. When you said like this movie can be spoiled. At the very start, I was like, I don't know what he means. But now they're, oh, God, yes, of course I know what that means. This movie um, handles its ending and its incorporation to the rest of the franchise actually incredibly well. It's it's a true twist. You're not ready for it. You're not expecting it. And it's like, oh, that, that fucking clicked. Wow. A lucky few survived the disaster. And then one by one, death comes for them all. Wow, holy shit. Yeah. So at the beginning of this this marathon, we've got Final Destination 1, which of course you know is an airplane that these kids get off of mm-hmm. and because they have a vision or one of them has a vision yeah. that they're all going to die and then one by one death comes after them. Mm-hmm. Now what's interesting about the Final Destination franchise is that each one is a remake of the last yeah. but with a different setting. Yeah. So two... And much like Resident Evil... Uh, Ali Larder will show up and hijack your franchise from you if you she let will. her. She will. She will. She'll take it. The second one is her movie, guys. Her movie. Clear. And it took me till maybe two years ago to realize it wasn't Claire Rivers. It is Clear Rivers. Oh, I thought... Clear? Like, yeah, it's like not, is the water clear? It's not Devin Sawa saying the word Claire in a different way. Her name is Clear Rivers. Oh, that's fun. That what is... A, what a... What a... What an on-the-nose name. That is her character's name. Clear wow. Rivers. Uh, so she, uh, so in the second one, uh, she comes back with better hair and then, yeah. um, and then there's the log accident, the one that we all credit as being yeah. Final Destination, but it's actually Final Destination 2, set it to Chromatica. Yeah. And changed, changed the lives of every millennial who ever watched it. None of us no. can, can be behind lo- logs on a freeway because no. they will go through our window. So we don't do it. Logging trucks are one of the uniting things about, fear of logging trucks, I think is one of the great uniting factors of the vast expanse of millennials. Mm-hmm. It's that we know to change lanes if we see that shit on the freeway. Part three is John Waters' favorite, your favorite. <laughs> yeah. And for a long time was my favorite. And it's 100% because of Mary Elizabeth Winstead, because yeah. I love her so much. I mean, it's an incredible cast. Um, Half of Black Christmas, the remake is in it. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, <laughs> and there's a roller coaster version. Mm-hmm. Uh, part four is the race car track. And then we get to part five, which is the premise is a bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, why? The bridge I, is fucking phenomenal. It's an incredible sequence. It's mm-hmm. masterful. Yep. In that execution. Actual, absolutely fantastic. And 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 what is so, why I bring up all of them in context is that throughout the movie, they have nods to it. Like yeah. they'll show a picture of a character who was at the amusement park yes. with the roller coaster yes. behind. There will be a log moment. There's like, there are so many things from the series so that like when you watch them all together, I, if anybody has the time, <laughs> like fucking do it because it's so, it, it, it's the only way to watch part four. A binge is, a binge is the most rewarding way. It really for is. For sure. And I say that as somebody who not, not really, for, I did not enjoy four. I enjoy all the other ones. Um, and I do, I do like five. I just decided I was going to approach this episode as basically me interviewing you about it. So I'm I, trying to maintain an, inter- maintain an I interviewer's like posture. I like this. Yeah, no. And I, and I want to sell you a little bit too. Okay, great. You know, so that's a good thing. I, so with five, what the, what the reveal is, and I have to tell you because it's important. Yeah. Um, so you've been warned. So that, so here we go. Yeah. The movie at the end, after the main character's try and do the whole like beat death thing and they yeah. think they do it by killing other people yeah um who were supposed to be on the flight or not flight uh yeah bridge. just life for life right they, they, uh, they I, they're real. told at a certain point you're short of death 
So you let death have somebody else in your place, and then you take their spot in the realm of the living, all the days and years that they've yet to live. And they take your place in death. Then the books are balanced. Exactly. And you can't just leave death hanging, especially no. when he's friends with Tony Todd. Yeah, no. Which, if you watch the series, you'll find out Tony Todd here time and again. Yep. So the reveal is when they're that because he's been trying to go to school in Paris and deciding whether he's going to do it. And he's in a really codependent relationship that the movie frames as being romantic. He's taking like a cooking apprenticeship there. Yes. That he is for some reason waffling on because he's like, I think I have too much to leave behind. And it's actually just a very boring girlfriend. Which, by the way, his girlfriend is like, please go. <laughs> if your girlfriend Thank is God. like, go get out of here. Yeah. She doesn't want you to stick around. Yeah. I'm sorry, but she would figure it out if it, she did. She's just not that into Hear you. the message. Mm-hmm. Hear the message and go to Paris. And choose yourself. Become a, an amazing chef. Choose you. Yeah, choose you. <laughs> yeah. Um, the fact that, that he and her are boarding the plane at the end is fine. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Yeah. But what's really special is you. there's a fight on the plane. Mm-hmm. And you realize, and they're using footage from the first film. And you realize, holy shit, they're getting on the plane from the very first movie. Yeah, you suddenly, you're like, is that Kerr Smith's face? And then you're like, is that mm-hmm. Devin fucking mm-hmm. Sawa's face? What's all that about? The entire film that you just watched was a prequel to the Final Destination series. And so... And he looks down at his... What is... The Nick Diagostino. What's the character's name? Uh, that main character? Oh my god. Is it Sam? Because I, I'm, he's so embedded in my mind now. Yes, Nick it's Sam. Sam and Molly. Yeah, Sam looks down at his ticket, and there you see the date. It is the year 2000. 2000, baby. This has been a year 2000 period piece in 2011. That's why, my friends, this is the most Austerion thing we could do, because it, <laughs> is, an, it is actually an aughts era mm-hmm, film mm-hmm. that is a period piece about the beginning of the aughts era, mm-hmm. but released at the end of the aughts era. Yeah. So what you have... It's turtles all the way down, It's fucking crazy. <laughs> because you have an, a post-aughts perspective mm-hmm. on a pre-aughts experience. Mm-hmm. Buckle up. <laughs> That's all I have to say. It is when you realize that and you go back and watch, every scene is different. Mm-hmm. When you're on... It, the attitudes about women... Yeah. I feel are amplified in this movie mm-hmm. in a way that... Uh, that makes sense yeah. towards the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the movie knows it because of the way that the men are killed. Uh, the- this, I will, this, uh, unquestionably, this movie has incredible, it's what you, if, if you're not tuning into a Final Destination movie for anything else, you're tuning in to see how people die. Right. The deaths in this movie Next are level. fucking, Next fucking level. staggering. Mom, don't watch this movie. Staggering. It will haunt you. There is a scene that I scream at to this day. Do it you know is which one? Hard to handle. If but you are, incredible. If you're a fan of Stick It, <laughs> then I, you know when I saw a gymnast show up, I was excited. I and I I forgot how well done. Like a, a thing that I have to say about Five is it choreograph. It it's like we know why the movie is telling you we know why you're here, and we are gonna edge you through every death scene 
because the way yeah. that in the in the in the LASIK surgery scene, my friends, in oh the God. gymnasium, in the gymnastics like pr- like practice scene, it fakes you out so fucking much with a poorly placed screw facing pointy side up on a balance beam. I am sitting there the entire time, practically chewing my fingers off. Yeah, screaming because not knowing, like it, I had, I was so nervous about the screw on the balance beam. It almost blocked me from remembering how the scene actually ends. And the this scene after after five, four previous movies of you knowing how these things go, this movie does a phenomenal job with the architecture of its death scenes, and yes. then executes them to the highest possible level in a way that lives up to the suspense that gets geared into each one of them. And that the gymnastic scene is the pinnacle of that skill. And it's shot like when you see a gymnast, a gymnastic scene in a movie, it's, there's always the balance beam moment that it like stick it. Yeah. Where you're close up on their feet and you're like, wow. So now I can't even watch stick it without thinking there's a screw on the balance beam and she's going to fucking step on it. Yeah. So Let's do a little bit of it chronologically because I have a couple of things that I want to point out that are fucking awesome. <laughs> They're fucking uh, awesome. So the the reason why I think it is so successful at hiding its its conceit is mm. 10 years ago isn't long enough that we could really maybe pick up on everything. But yeah. when you go back and look, you're like, that production design is all 10 years ago. The yeah. outfits are 10 the years ago. The outfits are 10 years ago. That Lisa Loeb reference was a little old. Like, I remember when I first watched this, I was like, Lisa, Lisa Loeb? fucking Loeb? Yeah, one of the characters compliments her glasses in one of, in like the opening scene of one of the characters' glasses, and he's like, mm. I like it. It's very Lisa Loeb. And so it's like, wow, the writers really don't know what they're doing, but that's <laughs> fine. Like, you're like, okay, but I'm here. And it's cause... like when you know Gen Xers are writing teens. Yes. And you're like, what the fuck is it this? It really feels like almost to the point of being inauthentic, and that's why it was yes. like, wait, what? Yes. Um, the, the, one of the shittiest characters on, when they're in the bridge scene answers a phone, a phone call on his flip phone. Yeah. It's a flip phone. Now mm-hmm. flip phones, did they exist in 2011? Sure. Mm-hmm. We were transitioning to sell, we were transitioning to smartphones. Yeah. Though. Like we're even, well, like we on see, a mainstream we see kind of like basically blackberries in sorority row, which right. comes out in 2009. Right. So to see a flip phone on an executive. I remember going, yeah. what is this, his burner phone? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, And maybe it is because he's a shitbag. Yeah. So, and the shittiest shitbag guy, the the misogynist, is so grossly misogynist that he is absolutely, a, like, descends to parody of misogyny. Yes. Like, there's, you, like, even, like, I would like to think that no matter what mind you take into this when you're watching it, you can't read the misogynist guy as sincere. No. You, you couldn't possibly. No. It, it's too much. It's too many hats on hats. Yes. So like, it's part of the gag. If you ever need anyone to talk to, we're told like I'm a really, really good listener by a lot of ladies. Shh, wait, don't say anything. Tell me this is the Kimber from last Tuesday. Oh, God. Wait, I'm sorry. Which Kimber's? Hey, let's sit next to each other on the bus. No, no, I remember you. You're like a bigger gal, right? Where a lot of times I think when we discuss and reclaim Ott's era film, we have to excuse the behavior of yes. the time. Yes. This is not a movie where we have to do that because it knows the behavior that is in front of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really cool. Mm-hmm. But it also is indicative of a 2011 mindset because mm-hmm. we were transitioning out. Yeah. And so this movie is transitioning out and looking back. We were, we were, we were now, like getting cult deconditioned <laughs> from the aughts. Yes. We were all exiting the cult together. We were getting out. Yeah. We were getting out with our lives. And we were getting out with our lives. But not our MySpaces. Those no, were over. Those, yeah. were, those were taken. But oh my God, MySpace music and the dumps. So uh, so this is an era mm-hmm. where we're getting out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and 
because they're giving us all of these like these these things that are so obvious but we're not looking because we're looking at the log thing we're looking at like the the amusement park picture we're looking at all the easter eggs and the fan service it's doing along the way yeah so we don't even know what's happening yeah it's so brilliantly executed that opening scene on the bridge when everybody dies one by one yeah that it's like how are they even gonna have a movie after this and when you look at the rotten tomato score Mm -hmm. which is a 63 percent when the rest of the series is all under 50. Yeah, that's a, that's a legitimately good... That, like, or considering the context, that's a legitimately great score. Like, an actual great score. For the fifth installment in a decade-old horror the franchise... Fi- part five. That had Can got, you think yeah. of part five? What was Friday the 13th part five? The shittiest <laughs> one? Saw five? Who? Yeah. yeah. This, is, this should be forgettable. And it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will give you the rundown. Part one is 35%. Part two is 48% because yes. Yeah. yeah. It was like, oh, they did they did improve. Uh, part three is 44%. That's criminal. That's a 90% for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, part four is... Tw- we're adjusting that for inflation. That's a 90%. Yeah, we're adjusting that for inflation as well as part four, which has a 28%. That's unearned. It's a zero. <laughs> this is a zero to one. Maybe a 0.5%. I hate four. Yeah, it's not good. Um, and then five... I don't remember a single character from Me four. neither. Not fucking... One. No. No. Use th- there's it's, no use to that. The best part about five is that it's like 60 minutes long. <laughs> I remember. In the way that like we talked about Scream 3 is actually a perfect <clears throat> bridge movie. Yes. Four as opposed to being the like poor ending to a trilogy. Four isn't even a good bridge to five. Four no. in fact almost does work to sabotage five. Four doesn't need to be there. No. It, it <laughs> absolutely does not. Uh, four is. You can skip it if you want. Um, I would. But it is short. Mm-hmm. So when we were at the marathon, I was like, well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess we're almost there. Okay. Yeah. Um, so so when you get to five, it, it is a treat. Um, there is an opening credit sequence that incorporates all of the films. It's like going through glass. It yeah. feels like it's, it's, like it's, a, it's so like a 3D, high budget. It's like a 3D style rendering of all these catastrophes happening and everything's flying at the camera and it's invoking all, all like, these the different deaths from the series. the series it's so it's it's like they're like hey by the way <laughs> you're in good hands you kn- we know you we are know. you are in for a ride <laughs> so as this movie progresses see so we, we get introduced to this like very charismatic cast mm-hmm. um we're following um hot nick from fired up nick <laughs> nick nagato diagostino that is not even close. <laughs> Nick Diagostino. Um, and is Sam the chef. Sam the chef who uh, who's in love with Emma Bell, but she is over it. She's so over it. She's barely. You need to there. watch that. You need to watch that music video we were talking about because Emma Bell is great in that. And the maybe the the biggest slip of Final Destination Five is how shitty that girlfriend character is. They just wrote, they gave her it's nothing. So thin. They it's gave so, her scraps. Emma Bell has nothing she could do. She does the most nothing with, she could do. with paper thin material. Paper thin. They gave all of the cool shit to every other woman in this movie. Yeah, Lauren, Lauren the hot girl. Even the girl. people that worked at the spa <laughs> had better material yeah, than the her. The women at the spa, spicy. Oh my God. They are, they are full of attitude. Both of them. I want to know what's going on in that spa. They have I interior lives. Them, I want to see them having... Uh, bad customer service experiences where they are making men feel small all day long. I want their spinoff show yeah. where we just watch that spa. Yeah. And all of the things that happen there. Yeah. I They were fantastic. This girlfriend is nothing. 
They gave her nothing. <laughs> so she walks in and she's like, I don't want to be with you. Yeah. If you're going to go to Paris, go. <laughs> yeah. And then he's like, but no. And then they get on a bus. And then this bus goes on the bridge. And thank God when we meet, thank God though when we meet uh, uh, the intern for this company, the funniest thing to me about Final Destination 5 structurally is this company that they all work for and I have no idea what the company does. Or... It's the Umbrella Corporation as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> like Nick wants to like it's so important in this movie that Nick wants to be a chef and he could go to Paris because his head chef is going to like get him this apprenticeship presumably yes. at, like an amazing restaurant and yet he works for this this company that does we don't know what and nobody that we meet do we in, do we understand them as co-workers? They just feel like friends. It feels like college friends, but somehow they are all at this office together. And when we meet intern at this company who is having sex with manager at this company, um, we meet intern because she is trying to give shit to the hot girl. Oh and yeah, she's that's like, very odds. It's ma- it, it's so odds because she's making fun of her for being quote unquote fat. She's like telling her she's oh like God, it's called skinniest- working out, and maybe you can lose your baby fat. So hot girl just strips her shirt in the scene and just goes, "They're called tits." And she's so goddamn gorgeous, and that intern is just flattened, laid to waste. And I I have to shout out, I have to acknowledge the ways in which I'm a misogynist. Because there are ways in which I am a problematic misogynist. And, you know, when it's the unfortunate part of um, sexualizing women on screen is when it works. And you're like, well, Mm. that did it for me. Like, she took off her shirt. She was standing there in a very cool bra. Yeah. In a very cool, like, bra top statement bra that looks like a a woman would wear it to Coachella and just be out in the world with it. Or a, a very tasteful bikini top. And I was just like, yep, there's one of those moments where, like, the gratuitous moment of a girl standing there in her bra, I'm like... You're bad. Fuck you guys. That was that worked for me. So yeah, and copping to it. And and you and it's confusing because it's not really making it clear which one we're supposed to root for. And I that's what and I want to ask you from the interview perspective. What do you think about that moment? What do you think this movie's point of view is on that moment that of Lauren least, taking off her top? That is my least favorite moment because I think it's the one time the movie doesn't know. And okay, and, and that, I was going to ask you if you I think do, it knows because I it knows in the spa scene. It knows at the moments they're I, smart. Moments mm-hmm. later that have to do with being a woman and making your own choices, especially uh-huh. with the ending. It's so but weird because they don't. In this moment. They don't, they don't in her clothing sexualize Lauren for the entire rest of the movie. Uh-uh. They don't like, they don't do the thing where they like talk about all the guys she fucks. Like they don't go out of their way to make her the quote unquote slutty character in the way that it's like, oh, you're showing me her without her top on. So that means you're going to do the thing where she's the slutty character and she's going to die. Okay. Oh my God. And it's, it seems really boring, but then they but, don't follow through on that. So it's like. So wait, what the fuck did you do that for? And you like, think that she's going to be maybe the villain, like the really hot yeah, one, but she ends up being like the, the Sophia Bush. Girl. Yeah, you think she's going to be the hot mean girl? She's not. It is so, it's so, it's I, so gratuitous, but not even played up in its gratuitousness no. that it's like, it wasn't even like, it wasn't even leering and pervy. It was just like, what the fuck did you stick this on here for? It like, feels yes, like, she's hot. Yes, it looks great. Yes, I, she looks very nice without clothes on. I appreciate that. What the shit are we doing here? I don't want to make any assumptions. Yeah. Because I don't know we this can't person. Know. We can't know. We can't know. It feels, that feels like a studio note to me. I was just going to say, do so you know theory, studio note? It feels like some producer mm, was like, hey, mm. this isn't sexy enough. I think you're we so We need right. two girls and we need to pit them against each other for just one scene and have one of them talk about tits. And, the, and we know that she is, we know that she is the gorgeous girl. We know that she, like me and Sam were talking about, she, she's very much in the, like the sort of Shannon Elizabeth school of pretty girl. Right. And so. It's not, you, it's undeniable. You know what, you, 
you understand that she was cast with sort of, it seems like she was cast with that intention to be that highlight hottie character. Yes. And it really, I think you're exactly right. It's, it's some, some guy in a suit being like, yeah, but we need to know she's the hot girl. Like she's the hot girl, right? So let's like break out a rack. And this it other girl like who's that. hot, but not Shannon Elizabeth. Yes. Let's, let's make her the ugly girl. Yeah. Like, it feels like that. Like, ugly inside and out. Yeah. I mean, that was the note. That was the note, right? Like, it's like, I think... uh, The movie so dispassionately has her take her shirt off. It's like the movie doesn't even care that she's topless, but they had to make her topless. We have had in the past... Which feels like a great studio note example. Yeah. No. Wow. That is... If I put money on it, and because most of the time... I'm not even kidding. Screenwriters of these movies listen to this podcast all the time. Somehow they get to them. (laughs) And then they tell us... We've been informed multiple times. Multiple times. So, listen. If you wrote Final Destination 5 or your friend did, ask him. Sound off. Yeah. Hit us up. DMs are open. Because... We'd love to know. I, I'm, I'm curious about that moment. Everything after that, completely different. Complete... It is... It's it a is movie. a part... It is a part tonally and stylistically and in attitude wise. It is a part from everything else that happens in this movie and with any of these characters. It's also... It's, okay. What? So to support my theory. Yes. Just from a filmmaking perspective. It's shot... It's a two shot where they just face each other. Mm-hmm. I don't even think there's coverage. I think, and it's it's an ugly shot. It is. And it's almost it's like, if this is so shot. ugly, we cannot use, like, we could just cut it. And I think they kept it anyways. Like, to me, it feels like somebody trying a, to shoot something that's not usable. Because I, I gotta tell you, mm-hmm. the DP fucking killed it on this movie. Oh, yeah, this movie It's great. a gorgeous movie, and the, this... The lighting in this movie, the I point know. of view in this movie, there are certain scenes that are, like, almost like, wow, this is so gorgeous and thoughtfully composed. This Final Destination... I went so when I was I was studying abroad when this came out um and so in the subway in Paris like at the metro there's like this big wall that they paint um you know murals on that are the movies coming out and this one had a bridge that was falling apart in the shape of a Mm. skull okay it was so beautiful Mm. so if you can google the French poster for this Mm. highly recommend because I think that poster actually captures the aesthetic of this film completely interesting okay this very blue like it it is part of that blue era um, everything feels that blue. Yeah. Um, except for when there are candles being lit because it's somebody's romance. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's like, okay, I guess. That's a lot of candles considering death candles. is after you. Yeah. But okay. <laughs> um, but so at, these characters, they're like as a foil to our leading couple, there's Miles Fisher mm-hmm. his, and his eyebrows. I'm yes. just kidding. Miles Fisher and this girl, Candace, mm-hmm. who is the intern. Mm-hmm. And she's also our gymnast. Yeah. And everybody's and, really comfortable with Miles, the manager, fucking the intern. Super fine with it. Nobody, nobody is objecting or giving him shit. And you think the movie's fine with it too until it keeps going and you realize Miles is the worst person. <laughs> yep. And you're like, oh no. Okay, so he's just not a good human. Yeah, turns out. Um. So during this this fantastic gym, gymnastics sequence we talked about, uh, after this, he he's kind of like avenging her death almost. Mm-hmm. Like when they start to figure out the rules of the film. Yeah. Um, and, and figure out that if it kills somebody else from it, that they can like, whatever. Yeah. He's like, well, it's not fair. I lost her. You have to lose your girlfriend, mm-hmm. you know, in, in this final like climactic sequence. But to me. Yeah. Where he's adding... like, in a, he's like at a dinner table with the couple with Sam and girlfriend. And he just decides that, well, none of us deserve to die. Then, uh, why is it that you deserve to live? Molly. You said it yourself. You don't. And that's our that's our showdown. Is 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 Sam versus eyebrows to protect girlfriend? Yes, Sam versus eyebrows, featuring 
absolutely nothing written for Emma Bell. <laughs> nothing. Featuring nothing. Nothing. <laughs> I mean, there is, there is, uh, and and like every death sequence in the movie, this this climax is really fun because like a gun gets thrown on a burner, yeah. and you're just like, where the fuck is this going to come from? Where's it going to come from? Why the fryer's on? Yep. These people. Every flaming surface has been lit in this kitchen of this restaurant that they're can I, in. Can I say, Nick was like, or Sam, played by Nick. Sam's like, hey baby. I know all our friends just died. <laughs> Why don't you come to my restaurant after it's closed? I'm going to cook you dinner. I'm going to make you a chocolate mousse. Hey, you know what I'm going to do? Order Uber Eats <laughs> yeah. for the rest of my life. This is crazy. For the rest of my life. You want to be in a kitchen? And she even says, now this is the best part of her character. She even says, are you going to go back to work? Yeah. <laughs> you work in a kitchen. Yeah. I mean, so it's like, okay, cool. Yeah, she, she knows. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and, and I know I'm skipping around all over the place because the truth of the matter is, in a Final Destination film, it really doesn't matter. The story doesn't matter ever. Mm-hmm. And so what I like about this movie is mm-hmm. that the story does matter a little bit. Mm. That when we get Miles and his revenge story or whatever his character's name is, uh, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. When we get Eyebrows and his revenge story, we're kind of getting it. When we see um, Sam kind of like brokenhearted over yeah. Emma Bell, okay, we're going to follow this stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's actually like kind of linear and all comes together in an interesting way. It does. That is not something that happens anywhere else in this franchise. <laughs> no, it really doesn't. <laughs> Truly. Yeah. It really is the kind of slasher. And I think this is why Final Destination isn't as, it doesn't have the same cultural impact as other films. Mm-hmm. Because I, it just, the characters, you meet them and they leave. Mm-hmm. Right? And there isn't a... There's never a story mm-hmm. that matters. It really is like you guys avoided it and now it's coming after you. Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting because we talk about this. Jordan and I have talked about this a lot. And, it, you know, Jeffrey Reddick is the uh, creator of the original. Mm-hmm. Jeffrey, who grew up and survived the AIDS crisis, yep. is a queer man mm-hmm. who did that. And I I can't say whether or not that's intentional. Right. But what I can say is if you talk to Jeffrey about the people around him and what mm-hmm. that was like. Mm-hmm. What you hear is a sense that when you were queer in the 1980s, especially if you were male, mm. it felt like death was coming for you. Yeah, and, and, he, if, and Jeffrey Reddick is a, is a black man. Yeah. And that compounds that, that compounds the it ridicule, the, the stigmatization, and the alienation. Yes. yes. And I think when you when you watch this, there's, there's something that happens where Final Destination at once as a series feels both queer and not queer at all. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because the premise is so queer. Yeah. Um, I When you watch it, it does, it never loses that grain that came from Jeffrey, mm-hmm. that feeling that something's following you mm-hmm. and that you, that death will come for you eventually. Yeah. Now, as a queer man growing up in the aughts, mm-hmm. I experienced that. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't get Truvada until, uh, is it 2014 or 2012? Sometime, anyways, it's after this movie. Um, so anytime, like I grew up, I was taught to be very phobic of sex. Mm. And so it, to the point where it's like, I remember when I came out, my grandmother, my grandmother, who's a nurse, she's had a fucking degree. Mm. She was like, um, please don't have sex with men. You will get AIDS and die. Wow. You know, it, it, that was the message all the time. Uh-huh. Um, I, it, it, it's to the point where it's like any, we didn't have the information even when it was made available because we grew up in a conservative era like this bush era that was like very conservative Mm anti-sex and anti-queer people Mm -hmm. and and we didn't have grinder yet so we weren't connecting online yeah not really um craigslist adam for adam that's embarrassing right yeah if you are under 21 you can't go into a queer space so how are you going to learn about who you are Mm -hmm. and how to safely have sex Mm -hmm. i i have 
I have lost friends to AIDS, mm-hmm. and um, and which is why it's such an important it's such an important thing, and that's why I ride for AIDS life cycle. And yeah, this is not a and it's 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 considered as I think something we beat as as a plague of yesteryear. People forget that it really was yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I've lost, I lost one of my best friends to AIDS mm-hmm. um, in 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I know, uh, I know I felt like something was coming for me mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that I had beat it, right. but he didn't. Right, yeah. I, who hasn't had a situation where it was, where it was risky? Mm-hmm. Who... To think that that sex could be a death sentence, mm-hmm. the ultimate expression of love in a culture when people are telling you that it's not okay to love who you love. Right. My God. Mm-hmm. I mean, the kind of the kind of internal mechanics that that fucks up. Uh, you know, I'm I know people my age. We're all still kind mm-hmm. of unpacking that, mm-hmm. and that's why there's so much hope for me for like this Gen Z like sex positive yeah. generation yeah. who does have Truvada and Discovy and mm-hmm. and you know you take a pill once a day and you are fine you're more protected than with a condom and you can and people can be HIV positive and treat it and be undetectable mm-hmm. and there is no risk mm-hmm. it is a beautiful time to be alive mm-hmm. um, but a lot of people aren't alive mm-hmm. right Sorry, I know this is a comedy podcast. I don't know why. No, it's I'd... not. It's not a comedy podcast. It's a it's a historical perspective podcast, and we happen to have fun. But like, I think that I think this is a testament to what we do here because so much a part of what we aspire to, I think, on every episode is finding the resonance in these movies that were yeah. so blanketly tossed off as superficial right. that were just simply garbage remakes or garbage MTV horror when if we consider the like a part of the metaphor that was baked into the original DNA of something like Final Destination, and then you take an actual good, respectable entry into it, like Five, and you consider the seed of that idea and the ghost of the past that moves through the entire franchise with yes. that kind of consideration, like to take these things not just on their face value, but to do the work of understanding the significance of their place in, in culture and, in, and film history in a way that so people, so few people engage at engage in, in in like a meaningful and meticulous way that's exactly what we're doing here that's exactly what we're doing here these aren't just things that fell out of the remake machine these aren't just things that existed and and serve no purpose for today but to satisfy the urge of capitalize capitalism in the moment when they were released like yes. no there is so much more here and that is exactly why we are gathered for this podcast and i think that being a queer man and i can only speak from my own perspective um specifically being a white queer man mm-hmm. um you know watching something like final destination as a franchise it hits different mm-hmm. it does and so when three came out why i love it is it's so bonkers and and camp and it's awesome and yeah. like so that felt like the queerest entry to me that i could just love but five hits different mm. because it's good that's it's the good it's actually good when you get to me that is the fear I grew up with. Mm. That is the fear that was constantly reinforced by the people around me mm. and, and that, that culture never lets you forget. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that, you, that you see around you. So it's like to see these young people being chased by death mm-hmm. and having it ultimately, no matter what, no matter what entry it is, you can't get away. Mm-hmm. That's the part that is so tragic about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew that feeling. So to me, 
Final Destination 5 is a really important film as a queer film, mm-hmm. despite being a franchise that is mostly in the hands of straight people and telling heterosexual stories. Yeah, I was going to say, and this is, you know, it can't be, it can't be, I think, overlooked that this is springing from Jeffrey Reddick. It is a part of the tradition of that shift in horror creators at the end of the 90s, yes. where gay men created the new language with which we would communicate the genre. Yes. Kevin Williamson, Darren Stein, obviously Don Mancini had been around for a while, but the franchise got much more gay with Bride of Chucky at the end, end of the 90s. Jeffrey Reddick is a part of that conversation with Final Destination. Silvio yes. Horta, who wrote Urban Legends. Yes. Like, the this was the tip of the spear that pierced through everything and changed the genre as we know it to create mm-hmm. the foundation for what exists today. So, like, we can't turn our eye away from that when talking about something like Final Destination as it drags on into into the, the tens, and now I think there's a show being worked on about it. That's why it drives me crazy when we are critical of queer people in horror, and yet the late 90s, mm-hmm. which is one of the golden ages of horror, yeah. um, was crafted by queer men mm-hmm. who had survived something horrific mm-hmm. and were telling their stories. So, you know, whether they meant to or not, um, and they were telling my story. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, when this came out, it was, uh, it, 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 it is, I, I guess it is a little bit nostalgia for me, but it's also because of the quality that it, that it holds its value. Well, and I think this is, I think five is a, is a testament to just such an innate challenge in the genre where genre horror is a genre of remix. It is a genre of tropes and yes. repurposing. And yes, every once in a while you get something that feels like a fresh shot in the arm. Like, God, do I feel like I've seen anything like this? Like, yep. like, like the way Get Out capitalized on the entire rich history of black horror to make something that felt truly new in 2018. Yes. The way like A24 has created this brand around horror that like when it started to emerge and I think really hit its crystallization point and jumping off of something like Hereditary. It was like, wow, this merging of like blockbuster marketing with like art house sensibility. Like those things, that's amazing. Those things are great. I need those things. I want those things. Titan coming from yeah. Julia Ducournau out of France. But the meat and potatoes of the genre, the bulk of it, the 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 general population of horror is a genre of remix. Yes. And it's it's partying partying with and trafficking in those wonderful tropes and elements of it that we love so much that make us feel familiar, that make us feel comfortable and warm, and that give us the kind of thing to look forward to. Like, oh, I know this is coming, and I'm so excited to have fun with it. And I think Final Destination 5 is so indicative of how the hill that horror has declined because it is such a genre of remix, how that has been stigmatized so much. When, like, guys, the remix is the fun. Like, the what if we take this thing that we already know and we're to give you the things that we want. But what if we just do it really fucking well? And it's how you get parts fives of franchises, part threes of franchises yeah. that are actually really fucking wonderful. But they get judged on this, I think, bad faith curve that makes it hard to overcome the fact of being a number five, the fact of being a number three. That's like, no, but what if it's still really good? Like in the way that like, what if Jason X was actually exactly what Jason X needed to be decades after the beginning of this franchise and batshit fucking crazy? Like what if we just considered Jason X on its own? What if we just considered Final Destination 5 on its own and not in terms of like, oh God, we're here again. It's like, what if we we just came in with fresh eyes? And that is a constant hill that horror has to be shoving the rock up of. And I think this movie is a perfect example of that trial that fans, horror fans always have to be sort of fighting because we know to investigate the fives and the fours and the eights on their own merits. But like, it sucks to have the thing you like immediately consigned to the cultural waste bin just because of like 
the awareness that it is at certain points in a franchise or that we've seen something before. It just really sucks. When we think about the fact that Scream 4 came out the same year as this film, mm-hmm. they they really pair culturally well, mm-hmm. I think. Because you're talking about yeah. the remix and, yeah. and the way that Scream 4 talks about aughts era horror and the way that it it understands satirizes and exploits Mm -hmm. aughts era horror um on the other side of that Mm -hmm. is the sequel machine right because because scream is all it's it's a sequel that focuses on remakes yes right and and what do you do with with a familiar and tired property yeah that is that is the theme Mm -hmm. this movie was like how do we make something original Mm -hmm. out of a property that's always been remakes yeah and as sequels and i think they really nailed it and so that's what's unfortunate is what we're also suffering from in horror in this moment is that cultural fatigue where everything was a sequel and everything was a remake Mm -hmm. and so who even came to see this movie and And if you can't give away the best part of it mm -hmm. how do you tell people about it and this is something we we talk about in another episode of it too but it's coming when there is i think a foil for there's there's a a a rising in prominence foil for the you know quote-unquote remake machine reboot machine that is happening in the early 2010s with like the 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 dude indie horror wave that's emerging with filmmakers filmmakers like Ty West with filmmakers like yes. David Bruckner like yes. early stuff in like VHS this stuff is happening and and filmmakers like Adam Wingard where there's this sort of like the the indie the indie horror kind of style that we're going to see really refined and perfected over the course of the 2010s that A24 is going to make an industry out of. It starts around that time in yes. a, for us in America, at yes. least. Um, I think it begins with uh, Let the Right One In in 2008 that I think sort of informs what sort of can be possible in the genre moving forward. That's a different conversation. But so when you have things like Your Next coming out and you have things like The Innkeepers uh, coming out that provide this alternative, like what if there's a different way? Yes. And then you see things, then it, I think for people who on who might be on the threshold of burnout or who are deeply experiencing burnout, see a five, a Final Destination 5 or a Scream 4 and they think like, nah man, like what if we just like strip it down and like go back to basics? And then I think it makes, I think it makes those big shiny movies um, look worse by comparison and I think it creates a context in which to give them less favorable reads. There's one more component about this film that we didn't touch on that I would like to mm. that is backtracking a little bit, which is because it's a two thousand, it's a movie set in the year two thousand. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there is a lot of uh, terrorism talk. Yeah. And so, and, and which was in 2011, not really happening as yeah, much. Courtney because B. We Vance is in this movie, guys. Courtney B. Vance is just the cop in this movie. <laughs> and <laughs> hello. Immediately when this bridge stuff happens, mm-hmm. he accuses uh, Sam of being a terrorist. It's like, yep. how did you know to get them off of this? Mm-hmm. Are you a terrorist? Yeah. Did Sam have issues with authority? Did he ever demonstrate any sort of uh, extremist behavior? No. Wait, extremist behavior? You mean like a terrorist? When we think about that era, now, granted, 9-11 happened in 2001, so that was a year and a half after when this movie was set, mm-hmm. which is 2000. Um the paranoia was in the air. Yo, it yeah. wasn't like 9-11 invented terrorism no. and that kind of language. This movie is successfully talking about what led to that public paranoia breaking point. Yeah. Um, that uh, that made us a, surveil- a surveillance state. Mm-hmm. Like it is that moment when you watch every interaction that cop has with them yeah. and the way that he interacts with them, it, it, it's talking about a moment culturally mm-hmm. that has passed by 10 years 11 years at the point of this making this movie because now we're in obama era which is a really which is a it's that's a really 
that's one of those things. It becomes a built-in trial for the film itself. Yes. When to you... be like, even if it's doing, even if it's doing this effectively and, and showing us something effectively about the era in which it's set, because we don't know it's set in that era, and because we are, we are burnt out on that conversation too at that point. And yeah. like you said, we've transitioned to Obama. We beat racism. We can't even. We're liberals think about now. It right Everything's now. fine. Yeah. Obama's a year away from endorsing gay marriage, but he's not quite there yet. Like you know, we're we're in uh, we're in the um, hope utopia, yeah. the yes we can utopia. Yes, and so that's a hard. That's a, a hard time to change. That's a hard time for people to just sort of automatically switch their mindsets to going into like, oh yeah, I'll embrace this thing that's a commentary on an earlier era. Instead, it's just like, wow, Lisa Loeb reference? What the fuck's going on? Like the the terrorism is in the air paranoia? What the fuck's going on here? I think in 2011, we had had enough to the point where we, had we, didn't, enough. we didn't want it anymore. We frankly had enough. So it, it's also hard that the twist of this movie is surprise. It's trapped in the era you just spent 10 years escaping. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really. Yeah. And it does it well, yeah. and that's the problem. Yeah. The problem is it takes you right back to a place that we couldn't get out of. Yeah. Um, and so 10 years later, mm-hmm. looking at this as a 10th anniversary screening of it, it's like, holy shit, this was brilliant. In the moment, mm-hmm. I don't think it was giving people all the warm fuzzies you yeah. might get now. Well, and I think, too, that um, because in the way that, like, certain entries, like like in the, in the Jason franchise, like, obviously Jason Takes Manhattan is so fucking ridiculous a guy gets his head punched off right. like we're, we're never in manhattan right. we're in a series of um, well, anonymous alleys the world's longest alley and the world's longest if you want to see a long maze a mile of alleys long, right then jason takes manhattan is jason takes the labyrinth yeah. of alleys. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's a labyrinth yes yeah. absolutely um it's it's so ridiculous uh that like even if it's panned there is a midnight screening quality to it yes. from go mm-hmm. whereas Final Destination 5 is just, like, discreetly a good movie. Right. And so, so there... It, there's it, no way for it to have a cult following in yeah, that way. Yeah, Final Destination 5 has its fans. I had I had coffee recently uh, with somebody who works at a film studio who was like, oh, Final Destination 5, that's my Final Destination. Like, it has its fans. But it doesn't have that sort of, like, everybody rally around it and say, but actually, you were wrong about because there isn't anything silly enough about it to defend as virtuous because yes. it's just a good... It's just a well-done movie. It's, guys, me, it's just a well done movie. It's, it's a great movie that people yeah. slept on, and that's yeah. it. Yeah, that's that's what it's it just, is. It's like, oh yeah, it happened, and you think you saw it, but guess what, you didn't. Because that's, that's the other that's thing I run all the time is people are always like, oh no, I've seen it. You haven't. You saw the trailer, and you've seen the first three, four <laughs> yeah. entries, and you were like, oh, I know what this is. Because yeah. I, every time I watch it with people who say they've seen it, mm-hmm. they are shocked by that ending. And it, and you can't be shocked by that ending because it's so embedded in the experience of watching it. Yeah. When he hands paper gift certificates, which do not <laughs> exist in 2011, and we just accept that as a reality that this desk has, yeah. fantastic. The, the number of American flag stickers on cars, oh my God. I mean, this is... They are doing, there's an I See Dead People reference. Oh my God, there is an I See Dead People reference. Which, You're so right. This is set in 2000. That movie was came out in 1999. And by the way, if you lived through wow. that, it, oh it's God. all people said if all I the time. If I never hear that again. God, it's not even funny. How does that happen? I, How do people just say the thing? It's like, it's it, it, like every once in a while, there will be a meme that's so fucking lame on Twitter that I just get mad. It. It, it proliferates because I'm like, are we out of ideas? Are we out of ideas? Twitter, you provide me wonderful comedy all of the time. You are creative geniuses yes. often at making people laugh on this site. Why are you all sharing the Leo pointing still from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? What the 
fuck are we all doing here? Yeah. Are we freshly tapped? I cannot stand it. When a bad non-joke becomes a meme and I see dead people was like, are we doing this? Well, that's And my, we were doing it. The I see dead people in the Lisa Loeb thing, those are two obnoxious cultural <laughs> jokes that happen all the time. You couldn't wear, you couldn't be a woman and wear glasses and not get called Lisa Loeb. Yeah. What a weird experience. What like what a way experience. to live. I, what a way to live. There's also the character. Um, the year 2000, what a way to live. God, the hot friend Nathan. Yeah. Who is a black man at a blue collar job yeah he's like that he's like a manager on he's like a floor manager in a factory and is completely that like zam said this is the umbrella corporation somehow there's a corporate office and a factory floor that both get involved in how this movie unfolds in its corporate intrigue something tells me that this movie was not written for that character to be black mm. and yet the casting mm. allows for every experience that he has to be a microaggression microaggression that is so accurate yes. that it's like it's it's wild watching his story because it actually has the most depth out of any character yeah there's and like there are scenes bef- that are more uncomfortable than you think they're going to be because yes. of the nature of how his race plays into these confrontations he's yes. having with old white men mm-hmm. at his job that you're like I am upset for this man right now like I'm scared for this man right yes. now yes and it's so it it is really fantastic when he by the end of the film is actually one that gets kind of off the hook. I mean, until the credit sequence. Uh huh. I mean, it's like, oh fuck yeah, he made it out. Yeah. Um, I. There are things in this movie that I that I think maybe happened on purpose, maybe happened by accident. Yeah. We can only speculate. Yeah. But whatever happened is they happened, and 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 for me, that's why this this film is is Ozturian. That's why I want to bring it here it and canonize to the text. it. This is this is a film that both comments on and is a part of mm-hmm. the social fabric yeah. of a decade. I mean, eleven years because that is two thousand made and released in two thousand eleven. I think in the in the in like this coming so close to our sorority row episode. I think it's. I think they're both. They they both couldn't be appreciated for doing that exact same thing. Yes, which was being so aware of the decade that they came from, from the era that that birthed them, and so savvy about embracing and putting on display for scrutiny uh, the worst of us at that time. And and and, and just the traits that, that were really formative in making the the era in its cruelty, uh, in its homophobia, in its like, we're post race, so we can make race jokes and all laugh at them and like edge lord yeah. humor that was like, hey guys, we live in a progress utopia now, so let's say fucking terrible things right. and think we can just do it with impunity. No, it was people being assholes. <laughs> like, oh it was God. people being cruel and awful. You know why I love this movie? Why? Because it is a period piece that's made like a late 90s, early 2000s movie yes. pre 9 11. This is like Urban Legends Final Cut. This is like Jawbreaker in its 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 in its sensibility. Mm-hmm. I uh, and and I it, it is. There's almost like an there's almost an innocence. To yeah, it because in that it's way. not like this purity. Because and I think that's why that scene that we talked about with the two women stands out so much because it has cruel odds humor and yeah. the rest of the movie doesn't. Yeah, it like it's like uh, okay that scene feels like it comes after Texas Chainsaw 2003. Yes, but the rest of the movie feels like it comes before it. Yeah, and it so successfully pulls off. The um the echoes of of one of my favorite eras of horror mm-hmm. and uh, and takes it and puts it in in I want to say a modern lens but I would say a contemporary lens contemporary lens um, yeah yeah I I think that they actually pull it off I think that they do no I agree with you I do I I do like this movie a lot I do like this movie a lot this is a really well done movie this is actually just a great slasher 
And I also like one of my favorite things at the end when you get that reveal, it's like all the things that you didn't like, like when Everclear was playing in the car, you're <laughs> like, oh, okay. Yeah, no, you played Everclear. That was the right move. It, it, this movie, um, cashes, it, it, it can cash the checks that it writes. These checks don't bounce. I, I'm so glad we got to talk about it on here, but also friend, thank you for letting me share things with you. Oh, of course. You are, you are so thank good to me. Thank you for sharing things. No, I, I yeah, I love you. And, I love you too. Uh, yeah. Thank you guys, you this that. is a labor of love. This yeah. podcast is a labor of love. We do this because we enjoy each other's company and <laughs> this process makes us so happy. And it's like, let's share that. Yeah. Like, That's, which, which is mean, why we keep coming back to it. <laughs> I like hanging out with you. I like hanging so, out with you. And having these kinds of conversations. I'm so glad you wanted to do this movie because we, I, I feel like this kind of, this sort of interview format we haven't quite done before. Yeah, this is a, this is a little different, and, and I'm, I'm really happy with the stuff that we were able to get to. Is there anything that I missed that you want to talk about? I'm trying to think, and and again, the I, I can't speak highly enough of the kills. That's the thing. I, I can't speak highly enough of the kills. Like, if you them, just but wanna, I don't think we need to. And if you just like, if you just, just want to show up it. for the shock yes. and awe of this movie, it will satisfy you. If if you don't want to give a shit about any of the other things we talked about, and you just want a Final Destination movie that's going to deliver on the things you want for Final Destination movie. This movie does that really well. Yeah. Better than four. I agree. <laughs> so and, come back. And the way that Final Destination 5 um, approaches scares, it reminds me of being in a haunted house. Oh, that's a really good point. Because you're anticipating it. You know it's coming, but you don't know from where. And you're looking at all the pieces. Which of those pieces is going to scare you? That's Final Destination 5. So. And, you know, in the, any for anybody who has an, an eye thing like I do, like... I, oh I'm God. fine watching a lot of, like, I'm fine watching pretty much most kinds of body horror. Things involving eyes, I have to close mine and look away. And there is a a, a laser corrective eye surgery scene. Like, a death uh-huh. involves or a laser corrective eye surgery in this that is absolutely fucking revolting if you have the sensitivity that I do. So, treat yourself to that. Yeah, it, this movie... Um the final thing I'll just say is it's a real yes and, right? Like there's yeah. the eyeball se- moment and then at the end the eyeball plops onto the street and you're in a close-up and then a car runs it over. That's... Why? Because it's Final Destination 5. It is It is true. Like you think it's going to be, oh, well, there's a laser eye procedure. So clearly she's going to get her eyes burned out and she's going to like get her brain burned through by this laser. Yep. Man, like, oh, nope, it's not that. Then she gets up and you're like, oh, well, probably, like, the room's going to catch fire and she's going to burn to death or something's going to impale her. Nope, it's not that. She she's stumbles her way, ass backwards, out of, out right of out a whole-ass window. window. Yeah. Out of a whole-ass window. And yep. then she dies on the car. And then, like Sam said, this is Final Destination 5. So she can't just die on impact on the car or roll onto the ground. Her her other eye has to pop yep. out and roll across the ground. And that's not it. Then it gets then it driven gets over, by, over by, a by a truck. And that is, yeah. that's the kind of building upon itself. That's the kind of like uh, engine building that goes on in Final Destination 5. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I'm i so glad we got to watch it together. Yeah. Friends at home, uh, watch Miles Fisher, New Romance. Google do. it right now. Honestly, do. It's, you will it's love it. It's a wonderful um, thing. And I think right now they changed it. Like when you Google it, it'll come up. But like for some reason it says Miles Fisher as Zach Morris. As Zach Morris, Is the yes. title, but whatever. Um, Jordan, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Jorcru, J-O-R-C-R-U, uh, and Patreon. And you can support the, you know, the things that I make. And you can find me at Sam Wyman on Twitter and Instagram. And, um, you know, I make stuff too. So, <laughs> I make stuff know. too. And I'm not quite sure of the order of operations of how this is going to come out yet. So if you haven't heard this, if you, if this hasn't happened yet, um, 
watch our panel on Nightstream. Mm-hmm. Watch our panel on Nightstream. We are we we recorded an episode. We recorded an episode about Scream Four, which yes. is another 2011 uh, precious gem. So you can access Nightstream and like you know watch the online film festival that they're doing. If that has already come out then make sure you listen to the kind of companion episode, the 2011 companion episode to this of Scream 4, which we will be putting up as its own episode once live stream night stream happens. And yes. that's behind us. Um, so we will, we will have plenty of 2011 coming at you to discuss in a very different way. Yes. So make sure you look for that. Uh, yeah, that's it. So goodbye. Bye.